four verses, four, first six verses of chapter four. If you want to be turning there, uh, a couple of weeks ago we turned, we um, gave out a survey, and I've heard from more than one person that there's some confusion there. I just want to kind of clear up some things. So if you're confused about the survey, you can listen up. If you're not confused, you can drift off for a moment. Uh, basically, it uh, we're. All we're asking, all we're saying is this is your opportunity to express anything you would like to, to the leadership, to the church here, uh, any thoughts that you may have. It's been divided up into these areas of life, and some people, that confuses them. You can just put it on a separate sheet of paper. If you only have one thing to say that you'd like to say, then go ahead and say it. If you want to say, give the preacher a raise, just do it. If you want to say fire the preacher, I guess go ahead and do that too. Either way. All right. So it just gives you the opportunity to express yourself. We don't, we, you know, we talk to different people. I have a, you know, small group of people I can talk to each week. And Mackie has a small group and so on. And so, you know, this just gives everyone uh, your opportunity uh, uh, to express yourself. There's a box in the back there and in the back there and, I know it's on the email uh, uh, list if you need a, a copy of that. I know today was supposed to be the last day. We will accept them this week if you, as you turn them in. Nothing will be um, denied. So let's, let's read these first six verses together. And we're going to reread them as we go through this lesson that, uh, also. But I want us to read it um, as we begin. And, and i like for us to really... Try to pay attention to these, to these words. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth, and the spirit of falsehood. So we're going to try and take a look. What in the world is John talking about here? Let me begin. Jesus said it, and John says it, and the Bible says it all throughout the Bible. There are two roads. This will help clarify your life. There are two roads. There's a wide road. There's a narrow road. There's two relationships. Children of God, children of Satan. There's two conditions. There's the lost condition, saved condition. There's two existences, light and darkness. And here he's saying there's two spirits in the world. There's the Christ and there is the Antichrist. And so you have two choices as you go through life. And we get confused that we think there's many choices, but they're really, if you boil it down, there are two choices in life. And so John says here, as we discussed last week, or the week before, whenever I was up here last, test the spirits. Test 
the spirits. And we test the spirits based on who we are. And I just and I, I know I've said it over and over. And the reason I've said it over and over is because John says it over and over. And I can't emphasize this enough. Your actions are, are a result out of who you believe you are. And God gives you a clear and accurate picture of who you are. When you begin to understand this, when you begin to live out of who you really are, your decisions and your actions are going to be right. You're going to do the right thing. What does God say? God says you're beloved. You are beloved. You're beloved by God. In this passage here, in the NIV, it says, dear friends. And some of your translations, I think, are better, say, beloved. Because what John is saying here, he's not an old man looking at these people and saying, he was old, but he's not an old man just saying, oh, dear friends, uh, my little beloved ones. But he's actually making a statement, if you read throughout this book, that you are beloved of God. That's who you are. That's how you, what you operate out, out of. And it makes, makes me tie it back to Mark and uh, I think Luke also. When Jesus was baptized, do you remember that? He said, this is what? My beloved son. And we look at Jesus and say, of course he's God's beloved son. But I'm not. The very same word, beloved, is the very same word here except it's in the plural. And he says, all of you, all of my children are beloved. And if we can begin to operate out of that, if we can begin to live out of that love, if we can begin to live out of knowing I am the beloved child of God, it will change your life. And the spirit of the world, and this is some of the things we talked about last, last time, are manifested in various forms. And so he says, put these things to the test on a daily basis. The world spirit uh, is out there. And so we need to compare what we're hearing from the world, what we're being told, and how we're being influenced that way by what God's standard is. What is God's standard? It's his word. The word is his standard. The word uh, helps us test the spirits. And it's not just this passage isn't just the elders and preachers making sure that no one comes into the church here and teaches false doctrine. Now, that's a part of it, okay? But, you know, I've heard that lesson where the preacher gets up and says, basically, what this passage is saying is we're going to make sure that there's no false doctrine uh, that comes into the church. And you sit there and go, okay, have fun, (laughs) I guess. I don't know what you say. Go to sleep. How does it apply to you? How does it apply to you Monday? And that's what this passage, I think, he says. He says you have two choices. You have God's choice and you have the world's choice. You have two direct, uh, directions you can go here. You, may, you have to make that choice. And they're being presented uh, to you every day on your job. You have a choice to listen to the world as you interact with other people. In your marriage, today, as you drove here, was the Spirit of God in your, in your, in your drive here with your spouse Or was the spirit of the world there? That's the choice. And if you are fussing and fighting and arguing and mad at each other because one person got up later or whatever, I don't know, all those different things that happen, 
that the spirit of the world or the spirit of God? You see, it's really comfortable to say the elders are going to protect you from the spirit of the world, the antichrist, the, you know, what's going in here. We, we don't have to, there's no application there. But the passage here is like, what did you do last night on campus? What did you do last night and in your home or away from your home? Were you listening to the world's spirit or you, were you listening to Christ's spirit? The world says to you, you deserve a break. Take it. Christ says, work as to the Lord. How do you work on your job? You make a choice. The world says, push your agenda. Make it happen. Get your way. God says, serve one another in love. Make your choice. You know, it's really simple, but it's really hard. The world says, you know, submission is being subservient. That's a terrible thing to do. To do. And God says, submit to one another. You see, you have two choices. It's really that simple. It's a choice of living what I'm calling here. These are not true words. I may, they, they combine two words, a world-centric life or a Christ-centric life. That's our choice. False prophets, he says in verse 1, have gone out. <clears throat> the tense of this, ver- of this verb basically means they have, are going out on their present mission and they are in operation at the present. This is not a historical, it is a historical event, but it's not a historical event for, uh, event for us. It's something that is currently happening in our lives today. And so whoever or whatever John was talking about is true today also. The world is full of pro- false prophets. I have them, some of them on the screen here. They're in your schools as teachers, professors. Some of them are your close friends and your family. Most television, movies, news, announcers, singers are false prophets. Don't get mad at me because I have Jimi Hendrix up there. I love his guitar. <laughs> He's one of the best, all right? I listen to Jimi Hendrix. Beatles, I like some of their songs. And I'm not, it's not a put down on these guys. It's like, but listen to their message. They have a message that they're giving you. The news announcers have a message. Are we listening to the news more than we're listening to the Word of God? That's the question. These people teach the spirit of the world with humor and style and pizzazz. They're smooth talkers. They wrap their message in a cloak of half-truths, which are full lies. And when we think about these people, we make an appointment with these people every week. Some of us do. Make an appointment with them every week to the point that we think we know them, whether it's the news or whatever or whatever show you're, you're watching. To the point that you think if you walked into a, a restaurant and Jimmy was there, he would say, hey, Al, how's it going? He doesn't know me. Wouldn't know me. I know he's dead. All right. But whoever wouldn't know me. From anyone else if I walked in. But I would know him. That's whoever I'm mesmerized by. And I go, wow. You know, I, I, I told you I met Lou. Uh, I can never pronounce his last name. Big old muscular for Ferengago. Fer- yeah. The, uh, the, the Hulk. All right. I met him on a plane. 
had a conversation with him. You know, I knew him. He didn't know me until he introduced himself. But, you know, you see this big guy and you see him on movies and, you, you know, your tongue's out here or something. You know, what, you know why, what in the world? He's a person. But we listen to those people and we, we, we idolize them. We hold them up as truth people. And, and he says, John says, now test them. Some of the words that these, that these poets, I think the, the songwriters of today are poets. They're our modern day poets. And we need to listen to the words, but test them. Sometimes they're wrong. We need to uh, just say, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. Sometimes they're good. First Timothy chapter, Second Timothy chapter 3 uh, talks about this. He says here in Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, but mark this. Listen here. But mark this. Pay attention to this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Let me say that once again. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. This describes uh, the reality TV of today, doesn't it? It describes um, our news of today. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but, not, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. And he's not only talking about people who worm their way into our, our relationships and our, in the church. He's talking about this is the way the world is. Be careful. Test those spirits. So the question is, how do you determine the world's, which is the world's spirit and which is God's spirit? And John, guess what? He answers it for us. Chapter 4. Let me reread verses 1 through 3 again. As I said, I'm going to reread these because I think it's important. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, has come in the flesh, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. All right. Once again, John says, hey, you can know something. You can know something. He says, this is how you recognize. Some of your translations will say, this is how you know, and that's the word actually know there. You can know this. No ambu- ambiguity. It's, you, can't, you don't walk around confused. A Christian doesn't have to sit there in self-doubt and confusion, oh, what's right and what's wrong. It can, you can know this. And here it says you can know it, this word is, by your experience, the things that you experience in your life. Knowing who you are, we've talked about that. Knowing your assurances and salvation is in God, that's part of the John. But here he says you can also know the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world. You can know this. You don't have to be confused. There's this clear dualism, to choices here, uh, dark and light and so on. This is the spirit of God, and we have the spirit of the world. You have two choices here. The spirit of the world is against Christ. It's anti-Christ. It's opposed to Christ. The spirit of God is glorifying God. And he's not speaking of a person. We dealt with this before. He's not speaking of a person, the antichrist. 
He's not saying Saddam Hussein or George Bush or Barack Obama or the Pope. He's not talking about any of these things. That's, that's in my opinion, nonsense. And, all, and we all, we get these people say, oh, the, the Antichrist is coming, and it's this person, that person. And always the time goes by, and he's not the Antichrist. And so it's someone else. Choose somebody else. Not any, now, all of them could be Antichrist. All of them could be opposed to Christ. But he's not the Antichrist. In the grammar, it's not even a he. It's an it. It's. And, and, and it's not the word the Antichrist, it's just Antichrist. And so he says this it is an it that is Antichrist. If you can remember back to chapter 2, verse 18 through 22, we talked about this. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But we saw there that any philosophy, any teaching, any person, any idea, any worldview that is opposed to Christ is Antichrist. And it can be blatant, where it's just so obvious, or it can be the subtle, and that's where we get in trouble, the subtle Antichrist attitude. And so he says, we have the Antichrist, but we also have the Spirit of God. And he says, anyone who acknowledges or confesses, you can translate it that way, that Jesus has come in the flesh, that is shorthand. All right? John is taking a concept that is going to take the rest of your life to understand, okay? This is a huge con, uh, concept, and he's, he's shortened it down to this, this simple sentence here. Anyone who confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh. And what that means is that he, this sums up the whole Spirit of God that brings us all the way back to what verse in First John, John. Do you remember? I know you've been reading it this week. First John 1 verse 1. In the beginning, that which was from the beginning. So he brings it back to not only First John verse 1, but he takes you all the way back to Genesis verse 1. In the beginning, all the way through Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, the last verse of the Bible. And he takes you all the way through and he says, this is what, what we're talking about. This sums up everything that God has been telling us is Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, acknowledging it, confessing it. And this is not a creedal um, a, 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 a confession. I don't know if you've ever read some of the creeds, some of the ancient creeds, the Nicene Creed and so on. They're good. They, they have some good things that are said in them. Right? I don't quote them. I don't you know, live my life around them. But they have some really good things in, in these creeds. And you read them and you go, yeah, I believe that and I believe that. It's not talking about a creedal form of confession. He's not talking about when you get up and you're baptized that you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not what he's talking about here. He is saying here, I'm shorthanding that Jesus is king. And we can have a series of blessings on that. He said, I'm shorthanding that Jesus is the prophet. And we can have a whole series of blessings on that. That Jesus is uh, the priest, the high priest. That Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that he's Savior. That Jesus is fully man who gave himself in, uh, for mankind in his place for his sins. And at the same time, he was fully God. And the application is this, to this shorthanded statement that John says. He says, the application is this, submission to his authority. Living that Christ-centered life. And the opposite is Antichrist. 
opposed to submission to Christ. Opposed to the fact that sin exists in every person and must be punished. That's what God says. Sin exists. And and when you go out into the world, when you listen to your professors at school, you know what they say? There's no such thing as sin. It's just psychology. It's just the way you, you, you grew up. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the world or are you listening to God? And God says sin does exist and it must be punished. Opposed to the truth that Jesus could even die for your sins. That is just kind of like, what? Jesus died for you? Oh, in our religious circles, we talk about it. But you get out in the world and start talking about Jesus dying for your sins. And you know what people are going to be saying? You know what the world is going to be doing? They're going to be laughing out the sleeves at you. <laughs> you know what he believes? <laughs> Making fun of you. That's what that happens, doesn't it? Yeah, because you, your sins, dying, you don't need that. It's the difference between the totality of Christ and his work in saving you, in sanctifying you, your utter need and dependency on him, as opposed to being self-sufficient. I don't, I don't need God. I don't need this silly, you know, John's up here, where John's left. John was up here talking about blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. To the world, that is weird, okay? And we talk about blood of Jesus. And we, we we're so used to it that we don't even we don't even hear it in the context of what other people hear. And yet the world looks at that and says, That doesn't make any sense about, at all. I don't know why you guys are so wrapped up in blood. The Spirit of God always glorifies the Son of God. If Jesus were not divine, then his sacrifice would have had no eternal value. People die for people all the time. It happens every day. Someone dies for someone else in their place, and that's a wonderful self-sacrifice. But if Jesus were not, were not divine, his sacrifice would have been for, for what? For one person. It wouldn't have been for the whole world. And yet, if he were not fully man, he couldn't have taken our place. If he was just God, then yeah, well, God can do anything. A man had to die for us. A perfect man had to die for us, and that's what he was. So this acknowledging... And confessing isn't a theological term. It's actually embracing the life of Jesus and the lordship of Jesus in our lives. It's not a one-time act, but it's a growing, growing in this lordship, maturing in this lordship. And it's expressed every day of our lives. This is how I live. These are the words I say. This is true confession. This is true acknowledgement shown in how I live my life. This is how you recognize or you know the Spirit of, of God. When you see it in your daily life. It's not what happens when you come to church. It's what happens out in the world. Your life is a confession. Or it's not confession, confessing who Jesus is. Fail to embrace Christ in daily life. And he says, that's not the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of Antichrist. The Spirit of opposing Christ. So the question I have to ask when I came to this point is, well, does my life reflect the spirit of God or the spirit of Antichrist? What does my life reflect? And so to answer this, I ask this question, where's your center? That's the title of this lesson. Where's your center? And what I mean by that is where's your focus? You focus on something, you do. You walk through life, you focus on something. Where's your motivation coming from? 
Where's your strength? Where's your ability to overcome? It's coming from somewhere. And here is something that is so amazingly encouraging. Here in verse 4. It's stated over and over in 1 John. And I hope you never tire of hearing this. I hope you can eventually, if you're not there, find rest and peace and encouragement in this gift that God is going to give, that God has given you. And it's not only a gift, it's true. Verse 4, read it together. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome him because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This verse, if it just kind of flew over your head, I want to bring you back to it. It's a high water mark of the Bible. It, it's, it's an expansion or an addition to 1 John 3, verse 1, which is, again, one of those great, great verses. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us, it didn't know him. He's given us separation again, this dualism once again. We could re-preach that lesson. It's a wonderful thought. Reflecting, here's what he's saying. Reflecting the Spirit of Christ is not up to your personal strength, and it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. Young, weak Christians, listen. You are a child of God. You, dear children, the one who became a Christian yesterday, are from God and you have overcome them. You don't grow into this. This is who you are. And you old Christians who are tired of the fight are still in there. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. And I want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to misunderstand the Scripture here or John or myself. Of course, you cooperate with the Spirit of God. That's part of lordship. You feed on His Word. You resist temptation. You have to put off the sins of the flesh. You have to put on godliness. That's all wrapped up in this. Anyone who thinks that I'm preaching a laissez-faire message from, the, from my own life, I want to put that to rest. John writes this letter so that you will not, God, good, I, some people have been listening, so that you will not sin. And I preach this message for the same reason. This love of God, what he's saying here is so that you will not sin. I love that song. <laughs> Sweet home Alabama. See, I know some of those things. I'm serious. So that you will not sin. That's why he wrote this. One of the reasons. And that's why I'm preaching this. And we still miss it. He's writing this. He says, this is who you are. And I want you to know that you're God's child. And I want you to know that you've overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. You will not sin if you can grab a hold of that. But if I, center, if I center my life in my own efforts, in my own abilities, on how well I'm doing, 
how much I measure up to some religious standard or my own standard. It makes it a man-centered gospel. With my man-centered effort, my man-centered strength, and that's no gospel at all. That's not the gospel. There's no joy in that on how well I'm doing. John's first stated purpose, chapter 1, verse 4, I write this so that you will have joy. And that word is overflowing joy, not just joy, not just happiness, but overflowing joy. And we as Christians walk through life miserable. You're missing something if, you're, if that's where you are. John writes this, and the Bible is here. God's message is here so that you will have overflowing joy. And if you don't, you need to ask yourself, why don't I have joy? If you're involved in sin, you need to be asking, why am I involved in sin? And my answer to you is that you don't understand what John is telling you over and over and over again. Because what he says is, look at who you are. You live a man-centered religious life, you will have no joy. And we all struggle with the spirit of the world. I struggle with it. I, I struggle with the spirit of antichrist, opposed to Christ. I, I, I struggle with that. And if I focus on my, that struggle that I have, if I focus on, on the spirit of the world in myself, I focus on myself, and I can, see, I can see lots of things that's wrong in my life. And as I see these things that are wrong in my life, and it disturbs me, all I can do is just lie to myself. Well, no, I'm, I'm okay. Or I walk around defeated, and I pretend everything's okay. I come to church. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. And inside, I'm going, I'm awful. I'm full of sin. I'm a terrible person. But I'm great. I'm a hypocrite. What's the solution? Do better? Work harder? Do more? Go to church more? Give more money? Do something? Man-centered gospel. Center down, he says. Christ-centered living. Where's your center? Verse 4. Let's read it this way. Let's put some emphasis in here. That's actually in the original language. You. That's how it starts out, by the way. Dear children are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. We read over that verse so quick we miss it. But he's making an emphasis here. He's saying something here. Where's your center? Where's your focus? Is this where your focus is? On how you're doing? But he says, you dear children... And over and over, I've told you what that word means. It's the word that Mima calls her grandchildren. It's the word that Nana uses to the little children. It's what we say in, in the little children, how they talk to each other. That's what that word is. My sister-in-law is here today. My brother is too. Good. You know, her name is Rebecca. Rebecca. That's a nice name. Biblical name, isn't it? But you know we don't call her Rebecca. In fact, if you ever, Frank ever says, Rebecca, we know there's problems. (laughs) 
Becky. Maybe growing up she was Beck Beck. Who knows? That's what this word is. One of our kids, I don't know if it was Angel or Judith, could not say Matthew. And so this child, I can't remember who it was. Do you remember who it was? And one, all right, it's long, long ago. So they started calling him Bagu. Bagu. That's what this word is. Bagu. Juju. That's Judith. Yaya. That's Angel. What's your pet name? That's what this word is. It's the pet name. He's saying you. And you have to make it general because it's in the scriptures. But he's saying you, Bagu. You, Beck Beck. <laughs> you, Timmy. He's bringing it down and says, you, dear, dear one. You are from God. That's who you are. Is that where our focus is? Do you look at your relationship with God and your Bagu? Or your Tommy? Or is your relationship to God, oh, I don't know. And John is over and over uses this word because he's trying to get a point over. He's trying to say, you, dear, dear, dear child. Do you center your life on knowing that you have overcome, that you know that who is in you, who is abiding in you, which is a word that's used over and over in this book, the one who is abiding in you, who lives in you, is greater than the world? Or do you go out looking at the world saying, oh, we're going to lose this battle. This is, this is a fight I can't win. The scripture says the one who is in you is greater so when that temptation comes, when you're out there and you're saying, hey, you want some of this? Whatever it is. You want to go here? You want to do this? Hey, come on with us. The temptation of anger is in you and you want to just lash out at somebody. You remember. You focus. You center down. This is how you don't sin. The one who is in me is greater than that. That's where I go. And so the second way we know the difference between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world is who's listening to you. Verse 5 and 6. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. I know I'm reading it fast. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Who's listening to you? Who likes to hear you? Who likes to hear what you say? Either in your words or your life. It's the same thing. Your, life, your words reflect your life. A world-centered life will attract world-centered people. Focus on wealth and people who love money will surround you. Center your life in sensuality and those who love feelings will join you. Let entertainment be your life. You'll find your voice among those who love to entertain and be entertained. Atheists gather with their own kind. Racists of all colors join ranks. Thieves band together. Fighters fight each other. Those who speak and live the worldview listen to one another. That's what he's saying. Listen to who's listening to you. Who, who's, who's, your, who's surrounding you? Because you're pulling in like-minded people. And the opposite is true. God, life in, in God attracts those 
who are in God. Speak God's word. And I'm not just saying read the Bible. I'm saying speak God's word in your life. And those in Christ listen to you. Psalms 119 verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. I will meditate on it all day. I used to think, how I, I'm not sure I can do that. I don't like legal, you know, the law. You know, who, who likes to read legal documents? It's a couple of our lawyers, that's it. But that's not talking about this. It's talking about God's Word. It's God, God Himself. Everything about God, His precepts, His, His principles, His life, the direction you're supposed to go. How I love it because it, it centers me. It tells me what I, how I need to live. And so I speak God's Word in my life. I attract those whose life is in Christ. And there's this contrasting message all throughout your life. The world says, you know, everyone's good. Everyone's good. You know, that sounds good. But we test the spirit. Test the spirit here. Is everyone good? God says everyone sins. Who are you going to listen to? The world says, you know, we can all get along. We can all get along. Just just hold hands and let's sing, you know, some... No, I'm, I'm thinking about no. I was thinking about the Beatles song, all, "All You Need Is Love" or something. And God says, you know, that's only true in Christ. That's where we get along. The world says, "I deserve, I deserve." Fill in the blank. God says, "You deserve death." So the world says, "I can pull up my, my, myself up by my own efforts. I just work hard. I, I'm, my, I'm my own savior. I can do it. I'm self-sufficient." And God says salvation and everything that word means. We're not talking about just eternal one day in heaven salvation, but he's talking about the way you live your life. You can live a saved life is only in Christ. All throughout this this section, not just these verses, but this whole section, there is a phrase that is translated over and over from God, from God or from the spirit or sometimes it's from the world. Literally, it is out of God. It's from the source of God. It's from the origin of God. So when you read these words, and you'll, 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 I have some, this is some of them, not all of them, up there. Over and over, he says, from God, from the Spirit. And you need to think about that this is from the source of God, which is in you, from his source, from his origin. This is what comes out. You could say centered in God or centered in the world. When you go through life, where's your center? When you walk into work tomorrow, well, you know, everyone's off. When you're barbecuing tomorrow, <laughs> where's your center? And that's true. I mean, right when you're barbecuing and you're with friends, where's your center? How do you do that? There's no substitution for immersion in the scriptures. You have, and I've said this over and over, you've got to be reading God's Word. And if you don't read it and think about it and meditate on it, you need, and you need help. And I've, I've, I'm, I'm encouraged. Sometimes I'll go to restaurants and places, and I'll see two Christians with their Bible open. They don't even know I'm going to show up. And they, I'm there, and I look at them. They have their Bible open. They're speaking God's Word to each other. They're helping one another. And that's the same thing. As we do that, as we help each other, as we read God's Word... We, we see these things in our lives and we recenter, we refocus ourselves and say, you know, that's a wrong attitude. You know, irritation is not a sin, but it can lead to sin very, very quickly. 
And so when I get irritated at someone, I need to, I need to center myself and I need to say, why am, I, why am I irritated right now? And there might be some justified good reasons that I need to pursue the way God wants me to pursue it. Or I may just need to say, get over it, Alan. You don't need to be going down that road. Stop. Put your brakes on there. Don't live that way. I was asking my wife, what, what does this mean, being centered to you, be centered on Christ? And this is why I married a smart woman. She said, Christ-centered is other-centered. Christ-centered is other-centered. Self-centered is the spirit of Antichrist. And that's really, if you boil it down, your daily living, what you're doing, are you centered on others, which is centered on Christ, serving one another in love, or are you centered on yourself? what I want. Let me read to, together in summation the paraphrase. Verses 1 through 6. Loved ones of God. This is talking to you. Don't believe every teaching or teacher. Don't place your faith in the popular, popular direction the world takes. The world takes you. Put those things to the test. Check it all out to see if it's God's directive. Or the world's directive. False teachers and ideas abound. There are a dime a dozen. And you'll find them in every nook and cranny in this world. This is how you know and experience the Spirit of God. Those who live a life of confession and acknowledgement, putting into practice day by day the life of Jesus Christ in the flesh, is from God. But those who live in that self-centered life of, refu of refusing to acknowledge Jesus are not from God. This is spirit of Antichrist. You have heard it said that it is coming, but it, is but it actually saturates the world in its ways and thoughts right now. But you, dear little children of God, you center your life in God. And have conquered the spirit in the world that opposes Christ. You are overcomers. Because the one in you is far, far greater than the one in the world. Those who center their lives in world thought, speak and live and act out of the origin of the world. And the rest of the world hangs on to their every thought and action, all the while applauding them. We, however, center our lives in God. He is our source of life. Whoever knows God listens to us. But those who do not center their lives in God won't give two bits to what we say or do. This is how you know and are able to distinguish between the spirit of the truth and the spirit that deceives and tries to pull the wool over your eyes. That's the message. I know we got a bunch of our, especially our college folks, Missing. Can't wait till they can come back next week. Next week is going to be special. 